0: What's going on, guys? It is April 22nd. This week on the podcast, Amelia Powers Gardner joins me to discuss blockchain marriage licenses and blockchain voting. She's a Utah elected official, more specifically the clerk and auditor in Utah. And she has a lot of insight in terms of how blockchain can be beneficial in the voting system, beneficial in terms of certificates, marriage licenses, and her understanding of how government is slow to adopt technology. So this is a really good episode, and I think you'll take a lot of value out of it. Anyways, be sure to subscribe if you have not already and share this episode with somebody that you think would love to learn more about blockchain, Amelia, and everything she's doing in Utah. Enjoy. This is the Blockhash Podcast. All right, Amelia, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well on these crazy time.
0: Oh, yeah, very crazy times. Um, Where are you you at? Where are you based out of?
1: I'm based out of Provo, Utah, which is where Brigham Young University hails out of. That's how most people know the area.
0: Okay, so an area of BYU. Yes. Very cool, very cool. Um, So, Amelia, thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. And I know you're doing a lot of cool things in the space. Um, For my audience that probably isn't familiar with you just yet, can you tell me a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you are now?
1: Yeah. I'm an elected official. I was elected in 2018 and took office in January of 2019. So I'm really new to what I'm currently doing. About 15 months is all. Prior to that, I was a small business consultant dealing mostly with operations. And prior to consulting, I worked in the manufacturing industry for about 12 years.
0: Okay, very cool. Where in manufacturing did you work?
1: I worked for Caterpillar, the tractor and engine company. So it was really, Mm -hmm. really technical, which is why I think I enjoy the technical aspects of my job because I was pretty uh pretty involved with manufacturing and troubleshooting in that job
0: no that's awesome that's a cool background like just from like a software side or from like uh developing or
1: no you know i was i was in the hardware side i was what's called a a product support rep so i actually looked with the iron in the field found out why a piece of metal broke try to figure out how to fix it i mean it was really hands-on digging in the dirt
0: And then now you're elected official, newly elected official. Um, What are some of those details? Like what does that kind of entail for you?
1: Yeah. So I'm the clerk and auditor. My Mm -hmm. county tends to be rather frugal. So they give me two jobs and one paycheck. And and on the clerk side, I'm in charge of elections. That's kind of the big one. We're in charge of elections and, Mm -hmm. and marriage licenses and passports. On the auditor side, it's finance, internal audit, Um, really the accounting and purchasing side of the county
0: has has that like been affected at all by like the situation with like with the virus and the quarantines kind of going on like what you're able to do with your your job
1: absolutely on both sides of the house Uh, on the elections and the marriage license side that side really serve services the public and is considered an essential function. And we've had to be very creative in our ways of serving the public and continuing to serve them. On the auditor side, as you can imagine, we've got, you know, we're currently searching for PPE, for gloves and masks and mm-hmm. things. And and that's become a really high priority. Whereas before we usually just kind of processed the orders. But now my staff is spending a ton of time in searching for suppliers and and things.
0: Right. Well, what kind of things have you had to do to be creative? Are you just like moving more things online or just outsourcing more?
1: I think the biggest part is moving things online. My county prior to my coming into office, Mm -hmm. particularly my office, had not seen any major technological upgrades in 12 years. My predecessor was a twelve year incumbent who who I beat out, and he had not updated even the finance system in during his entire tenure. So in twelve years, we'd had no advancement in technology, in automation. Um, I mean when he came into office, the iPhone wasn't a thing and and really, there was no update so a lot of what we've been doing is trying to streamline. Update, bring the entire office into the 21st century.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I feel like a lot of these a lot of these positions across different states, you know, very behind the times in terms of technology. And I feel a lot of systems are outdated too. So um, I can definitely understand the the interest in wanting to do something with blockchain too.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because a lot of my peers in other counties, they they're not they're not technologically advanced at all mm-hmm. and when I come in and start talking about blockchain they literally have no clue what I'm talking about it's, it's actually right. kind of
0: yeah I feel like that's the case with most people there's just wide gap in education with like what blockchain is and like how it works and how that differs you know from just from bitcoins so everyone thinks about Bitcoin when you talk about blockchain but they don't really always understand all the other possible use cases and ways you can implement it, Um, constantly running into people that are just, you know, kind of stuck with grasping that concept and what you can do with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think most people want to know what, you know, what Bitcoin has to do with government. And I have to explain to them that the blockchain technology is, different than bitcoin that bitcoin's built on the blockchain technology but there's so much more application so many more Mm. things that we can do
0: so many more and i know that you're working on a few things too um i know you've mentioned um blockchain in terms of voting you've mentioned some work you've been doing with like marriage licenses um tell, tell me a little bit about the stuff you're working on in utah
1: Yeah, right now I have two major projects. I I could see more in the future and and I've been working with um, investigating a few other things, but our main things right now are voting and marriage licenses. The interesting thing is when I launched the voting and marriage licenses last year, everybody thought that I was a maverick. They thought that I was a decade ahead, that I didn't need to be doing this right now. I was putting the cart before the horse Mm -hmm. And now, in the times of COVID, I have some of those same people calling me and asking how I did it, how they can do it, what can be done, because what we have found is that I can serve the population where others around the country can't right now. Um, I'll give you one example. I have a friend who lives here in the county, and her daughter lives in another county here in the state of Utah. Her daughter called her crying. Her daughter's engaged, is supposed to get married in 10 days um, on April 25th. And her daughter called the county clerk in their county to ask how to get a marriage license because the offices are closed. The government offices are closed right now. The county clerk told her, you should be social distancing. You shouldn't be getting married. We can't give you a marriage license. You're just going to have to reschedule your wedding until the government office is open. Now, I tend to lean a little more libertarian, and I tend to think that people shouldn't need a permission slip from the government to get married, and it really makes me mad that a government official told this girl, reschedule your wedding around my schedule. Um, So my friend called me, said, my daughter is crying. She is heartbroken. Is there anything you can do? I literally texted her daughter a link. Her daughter and her fiance clicked on the link, went through my online marriage license portal, and within a matter of minutes, had a marriage license. They're going to get married on the 25th, and we will send them a uh, a blockchain certified and sealed marriage license the same day they're married, and not a single government person had to be in their office to do it.
0: That's that's really cool. That's an awesome solution for people, especially going through this crisis too. I can imagine that probably made her entire day. Um, like, is so is this like a public or private portal, like that you are doing, like the marriage licenses through?
1: So the marriage licenses, we use a company called Titan Seal, and Titan Seal records the, the seal on the Ethereum blockchain. So that one is a public blockchain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you we send you the marriage license, we certify the document, we put the seal on the document, and then we record that seal on Ethereum so that basically when you go to check the Ethereum blockchain, it says this was sealed by the Utah County Clerk's office. It's basically adding our embossed, raised stamp, if you will, in digital terms. Okay. Uh, and, and and but the the people's private information is stored on our servers.
0: Okay, got it. No, that that's a really cool solution. I mean, that honestly, that's something that you know we should have been doing for a very long time. I feel like some of these these systems are so outdated. Like I don't understand the hassle. And like when you have something like blockchain, um, you know, you should be able to do it like that seamlessly. You know, yeah. it you know
1: I, I would love to be able to do it for birth certificates too. I have a nine month old daughter and I didn't have a birth certificate for her until last month when I went to go apply for her passport, just mm-hmm. because I hadn't had time to go down to the office of vital statistics and get one. Um, I should be able to submit the information and have a digital certified copy of, of a birth certificate just as easily as I can a marriage certificate.
0: Yeah, you you should definitely be able to do that for birth certificates as well. I feel like you could do that for like any kind of educational certificate um or work certificate or just anything in general. I mean, I, I think that whole process, you know, should be put online.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, vital statistics for sure and any certifications. You know, it's funny if if a company wants their certification to have validity, I think it's a great way to do that because just being able to say I'm Certified. How can people check that? But if you've recorded that certification in the blockchain and anybody can check it, I think it would give your certification more validity.
0: It, it does for sure give it a lot more validity. You could do that for business certificates too. Um, you got my mind running on it. Um, but are, do you have plans to like kind of expand that outside of marriage licenses? Or are you kind of just kind of testing the waters at the moment?
1: Yeah, right now marriage licenses is the only. License that I have control of in my current position. Mm -hmm. So I can't necessarily expand it in other places. But what I would like to do is to prove out the concept. Um, We're launching our second phase right now. You know, we found it's like a beta test. You find a few things that you can improve upon and do a little better. We're, we're doing that now. If I can prove out this concept and then I can share what I've learned with the health department who does birth certificates and death certificates, with the DMV who does driver's licenses, with other counties, then I would like to see this expand uh, nationally and I would love to see like a self-sovereign identity utilizing um, digital certificates.
0: Yeah, it'd be great to see this stuff rolled out across the states nationally. Um, There's a lot you can definitely do with it in Utah in the meantime to, you know, prove its use case and everything. But, you know, given the demand for, you know, some of these solutions for blockchain, whether it be creating any kind of certificate or license on the blockchain, timestamping, whether it be voting or um, any kind of official document like a passport or something, I, I just feel like the... The opportunities for that are pretty endless and it should be something that's rolled out nationally. And I'm almost surprised that, you know, we haven't had enough of a push for that.
1: No, government is a lot of people in government are very timid to try anything new. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they'll only dive into something new if they're forced to. And even if they're forced to, they want to know that it's going to work. Uh, In business, we get a lot of technological advancement because people take risk, because risk gives reward. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: In government, they don't have to worry about consumers. Like, you don't have a choice. If you want to get married, you have to get a marriage license. And so people will come to you to get a marriage license however they have to. It's a requirement. It's not an option. Um, And so in business, you've got risk and reward. In government, they want... They want to know what's going to work, which is why it's so important that I'm running these pilots and proving these things out. Because when the opportunity presents itself, if I have a proven solution to show people, they're significantly more likely to adopt it.
0: Right. Do, do you think the issue is necessarily that, you know, officials, government, you know, or legacy systems are just afraid to, you know, go fast and break things and want to be conservative? Or is it like an age gap in understanding the technology? Um, like what kind of things are you seeing that kind of like holds it back? Cause I know there are a lot of use cases out there for a lot of different technologies, you know, that have been around for a long time. It just seems like they're bureaucratically too slow to like move on this stuff and like, or even if they want to or not.
1: It's kind of an all of the above. Part of it is that they're, um, risk averse and they don't like change. Part of it is an age gap. And part of it is just a mentality that, if they don't have to advance, they don't see a point in it.
0: No, it makes sense. There's a, there's a lot of things. Probably is all of the above. Um, yeah. what, what about voting? Because I know we kind of talked about that briefly too. But I, I feel like that would be a huge technological change in the way that our country runs, the way that our states run. Um, are you doing anything with voting at the state level in Utah?
1: At the state level, we're not doing anything blockchain wide, but Utah is one of a, a couple of dozen states that allows overseas and military voters mm-hmm. to vote with an electronic means. So the federal government requires every jurisdiction in the country to provide a ballot to overseas and military voters electronically. Mm -hmm. But there's a couple dozen of us that actually allow them to return the ballot electronically as well. And uh, in the state of Utah and and West Virginia, and I think there might be a couple of others, we also have a law that says anyone with disabilities can utilize any voting method available to overseas voters as well to cast their ballot. So I, looked at what we were currently doing when it came to overseas ballots when i came into office and i'm i'm kind of embarrassed to tell you that what they were doing before was allowing people to scan their ballot and return it via email as an attachment interesting just the lack of security and the and there's no anonymity there's There's no guarantee that your ballot actually made it. It's just riddled with issues. And there's like a couple of dozen states that allow overseas citizens to do that, to return their ballot via email. Uh, That was frightening to me. So I started looking at ways that we could make this more secure, that we could bring in anonymity, that we could protect information. And I was approached one of the companies i was approached by as a solution was votes v o a t z votes utilizes mobile voting and blockchain to secure that vote and give the voter anonymity
0: yeah that that would be really nice it, it it's it's weird because you know we live in 2020 and yet there's so many cases where people are still you know doing stuff like this where they're emailing back a ballot or they're standing in line in groups to cast a ballot. It's like, what are we doing? We have the internet. (laughs) Like, shouldn't we have a better, more secure and an anonymous solution? Um, But it'd be really cool to see, you know, blockchain get implemented at that level for voting. I know there's a lot of states that are, you know, kind of looking at it at different levels. Are there any states like in general that are kind of competing with you guys to like get on the forefront of this? Because I know there's a lot of them that are exploring these technologies or at least opening it up for innovation?
1: You know, it's it's difficult because in voting, critics like to, they like to create this dynamic where the perfect becomes the enemy of the good. And, you know, I've implemented this blockchain voting and I have received wide criticism from academia, from special interest groups, because they say I'm handing the election over to the Russians and to hackers. And when I ask every one of them, well, would you prefer we use email? And they reply, well, no, email is significantly less safe. We prefer you only use paper and pencil. And it's funny because I explained to them, well, for overseas and military voters and disabled voters, that's not an option. For the demographic that I'm implementing blockchain voting for, their alternative is email. And yet I continue to receive broad criticism from these people who, who want the perfect to become the enemy of the good. That's what we really need to understand is, as a nation is yes. the, we are never going to have a perfect solution. And we just need to make it the best we possibly can and then implement it and then continue to improve it
0: yeah agreed i mean does this criticism come from just like a lack of understanding or just you know refusal to you know change ways
1: both from from the technological standpoint from the special interest groups it's a lack of understanding there's Mm -hmm. been a, a lot of talk about an mit study there were some researchers from mit that had a broad criticism of the of the application that i've been using And the Department of Homeland Security actually arranged a phone call with these researchers from MIT and myself and customers of of the platform so that we could ask them questions. And I directly asked them, from the security issues that you found, do you feel that this is less secure than email? Their answer was, well, absolutely not. Email is is Significantly uh, higher risk than this, and I said, "So what do you expect me to do to serve my overseas and disabled citizens?" And they replied, "Paper and pencil at the polls on election day." They're dealing in a reality that doesn't exist. Like you say, in this mm-hmm. day and age, we can't uh, we can't expect a blind person to show up to drive themselves to the polls on election day, grab a, a pencil and a piece of paper, and fill out a ballot. Uh, that's against federal law. That violates the Americans with Disabilities Act. We have to find a way for peoples with disabilities to cast a ballot and to do so with dignity. The same is true with our military members and citizens overseas. Uh, when someone is overseas fighting for freedom, they have a right to cast a vote in an election. And we need to find a way to do that. This is 2020. We can't expect people overseas that are doing their banking on their phones, that are purchasing a house on their phones. We mm-hmm. can't expect them to not be able to vote.
0: Right. That's a good point too. Yeah, we do do a lot of these things, you know, mobily through an app on our phones. Like I can get an Airbnb on my phone. I can get a car via Uber on my phone. Um, how there, are, there are a lot of things I can do on my phone to, you know, officially do things like in, in business or just in, um, or, or even with the government too, there's a lot of applications out there, but you know, lack of voting just doesn't make sense. Like there's so many people that don't vote too. Like it's just not an efficient system. Like no one really wants to go down to a ballot box. Um, No one's really presented with a convenient option for their situation. um, You know, based on how their work schedule is or if they do have a disability or if they are overseas Um, it, it's just mind-boggling that in 2020, we don't have an app on our phone that lets us all vote. You know, and Yeah,
1: the 15th Amendment took away poll taxes. The 15th Amendment of the Constitution said that we cannot put a poll tax. If you're a single mom, and you have children to take care of, and you have a job, and you don't have the ability to stand in line because you can't afford a babysitter or you have to be at work, we can make the argument that that's a poll tax. If I'm saying you can't vote unless you can afford a babysitter and you can afford, or you can afford to take time off work and stand in line, that's a modern day poll tax. And we need to remove those barriers because all citizens regardless of their ability to see and mark a paper ballot, their ability to stand in line, their ability to drive to the polls, every one of them has a right to vote and and we should find a way to make that happen in the most secure way we can.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. Well, So what would be the best way to, you know, push and encourage this change? Is it just, you know, showing these use cases and that it works and then just rolling it out over time and growing it or, you know, or is it education too? Is there just like a lack of um, information, proper information out there to, you know, help these, you know, officials understand this, you know, help encourage this change in government?
1: You know, I think when... It becomes a technology that the citizens demand that's when that's when these officials are going to start acting right now. These uh special interest groups that let the perfect become the enemy of the good they're the loudest ones that the uh, election officials hear, and so the election officials shy away from implementing technology because they are they're afraid of bad press caused by these idealistic MIT researchers who don't n- understand the reality of voting, that don't understand the plight of the single mom. So the best way to do this is make the people demand it. And the best way to make the people demand it is is twofold. You start with telling a story, and then you show with a post-election audit that, that it's secure. So I'll give you an example of that. We have a lady in our county who's the oldest active voter in the state of Utah. She is 106 years old, and come this next election, she'll be 107. Her name is Maxine Gramet, and she is frail physically and just a hoot mentally. She's spry, she's smart, she's funny. And uh, about two years ago, She broke her ankle. Well, as you can imagine, when you're 105 years old, you break an ankle, like it doesn't heal. No, it doesn't. So she's not walking. She's she's bound to either a wheelchair or in her home. And her caretaker is her daughter. Now, when you talk about a 105 year old lady, her caretaker is 85. Her daughter is 85 years old. And her daughter, once again, is smart and spry mentally, but doesn't really have the ability to pick up her mother and put her in the car and drive her to the polls on election day. Mm -hmm. So we decided to bring the voting to Maxine. We took this mobile application and we put it on an iPad. We brought it to Maxine's house and we gave her her ballot um, as Maxine signed the form to sign you ha- right now, you have to like sign up and opt into this program for mm-hmm. us. And if Maxine went to go sign and opt in, uh, this was one of our first pilots. And as I watched her try to hold the pen to sign the opt-in form, it occurred to me, this is a weakness in the system. Maxine can't hardly hold a pen to sign her name. And there's no way her signature matches her voter registration. Because she just so giving her sending her a ballot in the mail and telling her to use paper wasn't going to work. She can't really hold a pen, uh, which by the way we've now modified that we utilize an electronic signature for people with disabilities to opt into the system. That's something we've learned from from this experience of me watching Rose uh, Maxine uh, do do this. But we we get her all set up. We hand her the iPad, and it was amazing. She could read the ballot on her own, without somebody reading it for her, she decided how she wanted to vote, pushed the screen with her finger, which is significantly easier than mm-hmm. holding a pen, went through, submitted her ballot, signed the affidavit with her finger on the, on, the, on the iPad, and submitted her vote completely independently. While she was doing this, it occurred to me she's 106 years old which means that Maxine was born before women in this country had a right to vote. We have a woman who was born before women had the right to vote, and we have an obligation to provide her a way to vote, regardless of her ability to get to a polling location or hold a pen. Luckily for us, we had a news crew with us that day, and we have video footage of Maxine casting her ballot independently and with dignity. And we tell that story because when citizens see that, they're going to demand this technology. And if we can do a post-election audit and show people that this technology is safe and it is as secure as other methods, then they will demand this technology. And that's when government will listen.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. It, you know, if she can do that, I mean, anyone else can do that. I mean, at 106, I mean, there's almost no excuse why everyone else can't like adapt to that kind of stuff. And it'd be cool too. You know, if you think about it, all the small things you could take polls on uh, for people in your county or in your city or, or in your state um, you know, it doesn't even have to be for like election stuff too. Like if you were going to have a parade, like, sometime next week you could send out a poll to every single person's phone or iPad or device, you know, saying, would you want this parade to happen on a Tuesday or Thursday? You know, I feel like you could do a whole bunch of like small pilots with that too, to kind of like gather up data to show that, you know, it's, it is working and it is secure. Um,
1: Yeah. I have a city in my County named Vineyard and Vineyard is the fastest growing city in the country it was just a few thousand people and now it's 15,000 people growing at, at, at a rapid rate. It's all high density, brand new housing and it's right next to a university. So the vast majority of their population is millennial. They all have cell phones, they're all connected. That city has a higher voter turnout for a Facebook poll than it does for municipal elections. That city wants to utilize this system for their elections. Right now, legally, we can't, but their mayor came to me when I first got elected and said, I want to use mobile voting for my city across the board. Uh, I'm hoping that eventually we can get a pilot to allow them to do that. But that's exactly what she said. I, can, I want to be able to pull them on community issues, utilizing this app for anything. And then once the entire community is on the app and they're used to using it, I want to use it for our elections because I think we'd have a higher voter turnout and I think we'd have a, a more true representation of our citizenry.
0: Yeah, I think the the voter turnout would be really, really high compared to any other method. You know, the fact that they're, you know, a, a group of millennials, you know, much younger and want this technology and are used to it. I mean, I, I think it would work very, very well. I think the ultimate challenge is, you know, you have many other counties, towns, cities, um, you know, with, with people that aren't really used to this technology too, that, you know, would have to adapt to it that, I mean, yeah, are using devices. Almost everybody has a smartphone at this point. Um, But I mean, understanding everything you can do with it and, you know, how to navigate software and like user interface has to be done right. Um, You know, educating people and showing them these options has to be done right. I think there's a, there's a huge step for that to take place in order for it to, to work more broadly. But, you know, it's obviously it starts with, you know, one thing at a time in small places, you know, proving, proving out these use cases, but it, it definitely seems like there'll be some challenges, but it, it definitely also seems like a solution that's just, you know, banging on the door. So hopefully we see more of it.
1: Yeah. It, and it'll evolve. The reason I run these pilots just like with the marriage license the more pilots I can run, the more improvement that we find in the technology through these processes, uh, then the faster that this technology will be available for a broader demographic.
0: Yeah. Other than the, the voting and the marriage licenses, are you guys kind of exploring other options of things you can do with blockchain? Or are you mostly focusing on that?
1: There's another area. I think the next area that I'll dive into um, I think the biggest weakness in the election system is the protection and the integrity of the voter registration database. We are a vote-by-mail county, which means that we send every one of our 300,000 active registered voters a, a ballot in the mail each election. And we receive the majority of the votes cast in our county are those ballots that we send out to people, whether they mail them back or put them in a dropbox, that's the majority of it. And I could see someone wreaking havoc on our election day if they changed the addresses in that database, right? If there was some, some way that that the mail got messed up and people didn't receive their ballots, Uh, There would be some people that just simply wouldn't vote because they couldn't get to the polls on election day. And then there would also be others that the polling locations would be completely overwhelmed because they wouldn't be equipped to handle the volume. Um, We just simply don't have the equipment and the volume to handle 300,000 voters on election day because the vast majority of our people vote by mail. And I would love to see a way that we can record that database in the blockchain and then send it to our printer. And then prior to printing, I would love them to check their list against the blockchain to ensure that they matched to make sure that their list hadn't been changed. Um, And then again, just before mailing the ballots, uh, ensure that their list matches this. Because if our if our list is kept in the blockchain, then if someone hacked in and changed those addresses, we would have a record of it,
0: right? Right. Agree. There's a lot of things you can do with, you know, blockchain as a technology. It'll be cool to see, you know, what kind of stuff, you know, comes out of this in the next, you know, three, five years or so. Cause I feel like the industry is moving so quickly. Um, but it's awesome to see everything you're doing um, in Utah at that level and really hoping to see um, how it, you know, shapes out and how it, it grows. And maybe you can get to a State level solutions and eventually some national solutions.
1: Yeah, I think um, the the first step will be you know me hashing out these ideas here and, and finding good solutions and and improving them as best I can, and then working with other counties that have elected officials that are forward thinking
0: mm-hmm.
1: and innovative like myself. And and if we can find those innovative elected officials, then we can implement in those areas, and then from there we can expand it you know, I didn't get a lot of interest. I had, you know, small, isolated pockets of interest prior to COVID-19. But with COVID-19, I've been receiving phone calls from around the country. People want to know, how did we do remote marriage licensing? Because their offices are closing down and their citizens want to get married. Um, And then with COVID-19, I've got people saying, I have people in high-risk populations, and not just high-risk populations, but their caretakers. You know, in the state of Utah, we can have a disabled person utilize the app, but what about the people who live in their household? If you have an immunocompromised child, you don't want to be out at the polls on election day if you think it's going to bring home COVID-19. And so what about the caretakers? I'm getting these calls from around the country saying, how did you do this? How did it work? And how can I implement it? Uh, in in this time we're finding that the people who thought I was a maverick now realize that what I was doing is and can be essential to government serving our citizens, regardless of what's going on in the world around us.
0: Yeah, I believe you. I mean, there's so many people that are stuck at home right now. And just, you know, the economy is like at a complete uh, full stop. Um, You know, businesses are trying to find ways to stay viable and to um, be pliable, flexible in this economy. And um, the, the average consumer is just, you know, frankly stuck at home and can't do anything. And, you know, a lot of these services that are even offered at a government level just can't be offered, um, because of how outdated the systems are. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, a, at least I've seen it for sure, a huge push, uh, to find these solutions, you know, to reach your, your, uh, your customer or your client, you know, or your citizen that's at home, you know, that they can't access these services you know, services that they need to whether it be voting or marriage licenses or any kind of certification or document um you know it's a really interesting time but i mean it's also a huge opportunity for blockchain to to shine and show its its solutions and use cases so i'm, I'm glad that you guys are doing a lot of things with this and you know hopefully this covid 19 will be a blessing in the skies and maybe we'll <laughs> encourage more interest with the technology
1: yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, the the irony of this whole thing is the way that I got interested in blockchain and the way that I learned about blockchain is when I was engaged to my husband on date nights we would watch movies. And when it was my turn to pick the movie, I would pick like an action film. I'm kind of a nerd. I love sci-fi and action. And when it was my husband's turn to pick the movie, he would pick blockchain documentaries because he was interested in blockchain. I literally learned about blockchain and started looking at uses for blockchain because on his night to pick the movie, he picked blockchain documentaries.
0: What blockchain documentaries? I think I've seen like one maybe, like on on my cable provider. (laughs) But like, are there other good ones out there?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you a lot of them just you know short interviews or documentaries but mm-hmm. a lot of times he would just go to youtube or netflix mm-hmm. and type in blockchain and look through and find things that interested him um that's how i learned about ethereum that's how i learned about uh the the use for uh well the voting i hadn't heard of but you know when i when i started talking to titan seal and they said we use ethereum i knew what it was and i knew that it was a blockchain that was Designed for smart contracts. And, and if what's more of a contract than a marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when votes came to me, that the app we use for voting and started talking about blockchain, I knew and, and I understood what they were saying and, and why, when they would say this gives the voting immutability, why I knew what that was and, and how it worked. Uh, but really, some of the best documentaries I found, you just go to Netflix go to youtube type in blockchain and see what pops up
0: yeah it's an interesting way to learn about it i feel like most people learn about bitcoin or ethereum or blockchain by you know actually buying something or losing something or just getting into the space out of interest and curiosity um i know over the last like two years there's been a lot more documentaries i think there was a movie that came out like last year um you know and i some people are learning about it that way too. Um, no, but that's interesting. I'm definitely have to check that out some more. I know there's a lot of stuff on YouTube, but um, I imagine there will be a lot more stuff like, shoved into these um, platforms like Netflix. I know on there's a show called Billions. I know they talk about crypto and blockchain quite a lot on Billions too, especially with the use cases and like with voting and stuff. So it's starting to leak into pop culture a little bit and into um, into Hollywood. So, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of that.
1: I think we will. And I think it's a good thing. The more it's in pop culture, the more it's in Hollywood and the more it's accessible, then people will learn about it. And when they learn about it, they won't be so scared of it. So when I say we're doing mobile voting and we're securing it using blockchain, if they've seen a Hollywood movie on that, they're significantly more likely to not be afraid of what I'm saying.
0: Right. Yeah pop culture and Hollywood and whatnot, they definitely shape the narratives for some of these technologies. I'm just hoping that it's a positive one. <laughs> uh, yeah. t- you know, you look at technology, so many, uh, so many things in pop culture about how negative, you know, AI could be or how negative robotics could be. Um, you know, that yeah. it almost hinders the growth of technology in some ways. Um, so, I mean, hopefully that they don't portray like Bitcoin as a, as a scam or Bitcoin as something that um, is used only by terrorists or people that are criminals and blockchain is a sketchy platform or something like that like i'm hoping they don't paint that picture or they're at least very careful with it and broad with it um because you know that stuff can definitely hurt someone's like understanding of the technology so i mean yeah that's something they
1: need to do like a docudrama on Vitalik, you know like something right. like that
0: Yeah. There needs to be a lot more documentaries and those are starting to come out. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube, a lot of debates that go on, a lot of ideas, a lot of economic ideas, you know, that go back and forth and that stuff's really good too. But yeah, hopefully we see more of that. Anyways. Um, I think we're kind of coming up to the end of the podcast. I think we ran through most of the questions, but before we wrap up and everything, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention or that you have going on? Um, in in your world at the moment?
1: No, at the moment, we, you know, really, I've been so busy with the fact that I'm one of the only offices in the entire state of Utah that can issue a marriage license right now, that our volume is up three to four times what it would be. And that volume is for citizens living outside my county. Um, We have people literally coming to Utah right now to get married because I can give the marriage license and mm-hmm. their state can't, so that's consuming most of my time, as well as ensuring that I have the ability to serve my entire population in this upcoming election, even people that are going to be in isolation. So, lucky for me, I've done the groundwork to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome to see that they're you know coming to you too that have that you know service provided. I mean, that shows that it's working. So. That's really good. That's, that's good first steps and everything. Um, how can people follow you like and keep up with all the things you're doing is social media the best way to go like Twitter or Instagram or what do you got?
1: Yeah, I have on Instagram. I'm elected mama and on Twitter. I'm Amelia for Utah.
0: Sweet, sweet. I'll definitely put that info in the description below the episode and so people can find it. Um, Anyways, Amelia, thank you for taking the time today to come on and talk about everything you're doing in Utah with um, with voting, marriage licenses, other ideas, things you want to roll out. Um, it's a very exciting time, a lot of opportunities. I'm excited to see how you know blockchain grows through these crazy weird times and um, definitely rooting for you and all the stuff you're working on. And, uh, hopefully see it all come to fruition. Well,
1: thank you. I appreciate it and um, hopefully getting the word out will help more people be willing to jump on and, and pilot these things with me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That'd be wonderful. Um, All right, cool. Again, thanks for coming on and we'll talk again soon.
1: All right. Thanks. Bye.
0: Bye.